So uh, I would like to start a verse this morning um, and then have you uh, finish it for me. God said, I will build my church. Let's try one more time. I will build my church. Okay, now that was not script. I did not plan to share that verse, but I thought about it as I thought about our time of worship here this morning and the message that God has laid on my heart. Um, The message title is, and I'm not sure if it's the best message title, but I'll put it this way and I think you'll be able to understand it, is Will You Be Moved? Will You Be Moved? Um, this has been on my mind, on my heart, uh, for some time now. And it's a very personal thing, uh, because I see how difficult it is to be moved. And so I'd like to start by reading Psalm 40, verse 1 through 8, if you want to open your Bibles there. And let's stand to read the scripture. Psalm 41 through 8. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You may be seated. So I'd like to ask the question to you this morning. Have you ever been stuck? Like, really stuck? Uh, Since we've moved to Idaho, we've had a significant amount of times of being stuck. Like I've told my some friends and family, when you move to Idaho, you don't buy a four-wheel drive to be cool. You buy one because you really need one. And, uh, you know, that can happen in other places. But um, this came to my mind the other morning. Uh, we were up at a job we were working at, and uh, this the, the snow had been being plowed, but it was down to about this deep. And just hard, hard, nice hard surface. So we had a good incline coming up to the job and then in. And so it was. it's a little treacherous going up that incline, but not too bad. Uh, usually that's pretty navigable and four-wheel drive. And going in, it's fine. But um, that morning it was about 38 degrees, and it was just a mess, this this ice that was about that thick was melting and it melted down to almost down to the rock not quite and so it was just pushing through sludge and this sludge is real I mean it just feels like you have your emergency brakes pulled all the time it's just really difficult and uh, I actually made it up to the top and about at the top all of a sudden just kind of sank and there I was couldn't go forwards couldn't go backwards just stuck it was so aggravating because I had so many other things to do that day other than try to get unstuck. I had a good walk to the house yet, had things to unload, 
Uh, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go there that morning because I had other things to do. You know, now I wished I wouldn't have. And it's like one of those days that just doesn't turn out very well. It's just stuck, spinning on my wheels there. And I thought about that in terms of spiritual life. How many times do we get stuck in four inches of sludge, four inches of junk? And we just can't move. You know, we, we spin our wheels. We know where we want to go. But we just can't get there. We're just kind of stuck. Uh, the, the vehicle isn't moving. We're not getting things done that we need to get done. Um, four years and one month ago, yesterday, I was looking at a picture and it showed us in a rental Jeep stuck on our property on our new homestead. We just pulled in and we're looking around in the evening and as we pulled in to try to get off the road, all of a sudden, we went down. It was kind of the same thing, and there was no getting out. We dug underneath the vehicle that went all the way down to the belly pan, and so we were down there with a cheap little shovel, shoveled out underneath, shoveled a path out, and went to back up, and it just went you know, down again. So we shoveled again. I think we did it the third time. The moon was up, beautiful, nice full moon. It was getting cold. It was pretty cold, and finally... The last time it did it, it just started spinning mud, and it's like, well, I knew we weren't going to go get anywhere in this stuff, and so we didn't have anyone here that we knew. Uh, the only person we knew was the, our bed and breakfast host, and we called them, and they managed to call someone else. We called someone a wrecker, and finally, after uh, another hour or so, and we hadn't had supper, uh, we were pretty hungry, and, and another hour or so, well, a wrecker came out, and it looked really good to see that wrecker. He pulled us out. Very kind man. Anyways, um, so being stuck is not fun. It means we're, we're not getting where we want to go. Um, so the question again is, will you be moved? Will we be moved? Have you ever heard the old song or sang it? Glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Anchored in Jehovah, I shall not be moved. You know, this is not the kind of moving I'm talking about this morning. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about a moving um, that we need to do. Uh, it's not a. It's not a being a stuck in our anchor in Jehovah. If we're if we're anchored in Jehovah, then God will be moving us. He'll be doing things in our lives. We'll be able to be part of His work and part of His kingdom. So the moving I want to address this morning is in James 1, 22, uh, through 25. And it also goes along with the psalm we read about being stuck in the miry clay. And David talks about being lifted out of that. Um, James 1, 22, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. So there's a lot of times I think that we look in this proverbial mirror and uh, tend to not be moved. We don't change we stay in the miry clay maybe due to 
circumstances we don't have any control over. Um, maybe sometimes we find ourselves, and I'm sure this is the case, I know it's been in my life, in miry clay, due to our own actions, our, pat- our own pattern of behavior, we find ourselves stuck. And there are times we find ourselves in miry clay or looking in that mirror, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, due to our dwelling on and living in the negative things of our own past, both of our own doing, maybe in a, the doing of others. Instead of pressing toward the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus, instead of doing that, we're looking back to Egypt and we end up living on the birds in the wilderness, dreaming of the leeks and the garlics and relishing the thought of the return to slavery. And if we're there in the wilderness, it's not a nice place to be. We're not. Even being able to enjoy the leeks and the garlics, and, you know, we're not enjoying Canaan, so we're there. And God sometimes needs to put us there to, to teach us, to learn us. When we're there, often it is a case that instead of being awed at God's power to deliver and living in that, we live in a criticism of what, in the criticism of what God is not doing that we think he should be doing. Just like the Israelites were. You know, God should be doing this for us. He should be doing that. Instead of being awed by what he did do for them, how he did part the Red Sea, how he led with that fiery cloud, and so forth. In Luke 7, 31, 35, Jesus made this observation to the Pharisees. And it's a neat little observation. He says, To then, to what shall then I liken the men of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, saying, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We mourned to you, and you do not weep, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came, neither eating nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is justified by all her children. Um, so Jesus is making the point here to them that the Pharisees were there and the hierarchy and so forth, they're all standing on the sideline being critical. And he said, what do I liken you to you all to, but to pipers uh, playing the flute and you don't dance and uh, mourners and uh, that are out here and you don't weep. You're just there being critical. You're not being moved by this. Um, no matter what happens, you're criticizing it from your point of view. So I'd just like to build on this. I believe that there's a fault line within our churches. And the churches and churches that have maintained, there's not, it's not a fault line that's not overcomable, but it can be a natural fault line. For the churches that maintain godly discipline, consistent godly discipline, which is, I believe, of utmost importance. But there can be that fault line that it becomes very expedient to learn a learned, obedient Christian walk that is acceptable to the Christian 
the, to the local church, a walk that manifests well. And hopefully I made that clear and simple enough. So it's easy enough to, for a church that maintains, where godly, for a godly walk is expected, godly um, discipleship is expected. It is, it is kind of, it, it can be almost natural that the children and the adults as well will learn a learned obedient walk that the church expects and a walk that will manifest well. Now, having said that, that is a lot better than not learning it. That is a good thing to learn a Christian walk. Um, I believe in the Christian walk. I believe in the, it's the church's responsibility to model the Christian walk and to expect it and to teach it and to train it. But the danger lies in the fact that we're prone to fixate and find our sense of being in what we manifest. We tend to hear the word and to line up with it uh, with what shows on the outside and we don't pay attention like we should what is happening or not happening deep within. Can you relate to that? I can. And I hope I'm making myself clear here and I hope I'm not confusing anyone. But if the deep within isn't being moved or isn't being cleansed, then we become clouds without water or maybe even a bitter fountain. We don't dance or mourn with the word. Uh, Rather, we're fixated on the street, maybe like the Pharisees were. Um, You know, critical because um, the connection we should be experiencing with the word and with the message bearer or the, is broken. It's not there. Um, so we need, to, we need to make sure we stay focused on being moved by the word. We're prone to be forgetful hearers. And I speak this from my own experience. Spinning our wheels in the desert of our own imagination and in the work of building our own kingdoms, while we're at the same time cloaked in a garment of cumbersome righteousness that really doesn't fit us. Have you ever been there where, you know, it really would feel better not to have this cloak of righteousness on because it doesn't really fit with what I'm doing? Um, I remember going, I'll share an example here. As a youngster, I remember going to a 4th of July show um, and this was put on, I'm not sure, by the city of Springfield or something. Anyways, remember being there and just kind of wishing that, you know, um, maybe I wouldn't be identifying with the, with the Mennonites around me. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be that myself because I felt so out of place. Somehow I knew that my belief system and also just the lack of, moral uh, dress in that crowd didn't, didn't, didn't mesh well together. I felt out of place and I left there feeling like this was just not the place for me. Now, not that I wanted to let go what I had, but my, my, my uh, dress and what went with it felt cumbersome to me there. And, you know, if that's the case, then you know, we're not at the right place. And we can find ourselves that way in, a, in business dealing. We can find that way ourselves in that way with in dealing with our neighbor. 
there's so many ways we can find ourselves in that way, you know, uh, where that the the uh, cloak of righteousness that is rightfully ours to wear starts feeling cumbersome because we're in the wrong place or not dealing in the right way or, you know, you can put a lot of other things there. We're not where God wants us to be. So we're prone to be forgetful hearers, spinning our wheels in the desert of our own imagination and building our own things. Um, a place that we have a form of godliness, but we deny the power thereof. And I think we can all relate to that. If we're there, God wants to move us. That's miry clay. It's not good stuff. It'll bear, wear us down, it'll wear us out. It will not get us where God wants us to be, where we need to be. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And this thought occurred to me just recently. I have uh, seen people make a huge emphasis on charismatic worship and drumming up some sort of power and so forth and sharing. And for the most part, I think I could say for the all part, I've not seen that turn out well. It hasn't worked out in these people's lives. But I can tell you one thing. If you want power, then see God. Moses saw God at the burning bush. And there's many examples of people seeing God. When we see God, it's not going to be our own doing. It's going to be because of what God's doing in us and our willingness to work with God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we see God, or when we have a, a desire for purity that brings us to our knees to see God, there's power there. There is power for service. There is power to move ahead, to be moved. There's power for further purity. James 5.16, building on that concept, James 5.16 says, Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer. Um, and I'd like to share uh, this morning some of our... Some of our um, Work as accountability groups. Um, as I began this message, it also struck me, you know, I really need to wait till uh, we've had our, our group accountability meeting before I finish this message because I think there are going to be things that lend to this message from what's going to be said. And uh, God really blessed that and... I was so blessed, and we were all blessed as we shared together. Us men shared together, brothers shared together the other evening. And I want to share some of that here with you this morning. I think it can be a real means of encouragement to all of us. Um, and, a, and a means of us praising the Lord for the work he's working in us. Um, there's nothing sacrosanct, nothing sacred about an accountability group about that word. Um, and I, I want to make sure of that. But what it does, the effects of it, when brothers and sisters in the Lord are together and are working together humbly, and the outcome of that is what's sacred. It's God's work. 
And it goes back to what James says, confessing our trespasses to one another and praying for each other that we may be healed. So the accountability groups came largely into being to, to confront uh, the, uh, and to help us maintain purity against the, the media changes that were taking place. As a whole in the Anabaptist churches, that's where the accountability groups came into effect. That's what drove them. But there's so much more than that when, when, uh, that, can be, that can be derived or brought out of that and that God is able to do through time together meeting two or three together. And I'd like to share some of what we've heard this morning, what I've summarized. Some has been taken exactly and some has been summarized here. Uh, first of all, it's a, and, and so what I'm sharing here is coming from the group and starting now. It's unnatural for men to gather and share with each other of their struggles, besetting sins and defeat. Men gather to boast and triumph. That's what's natural. Uh, however, James says we should confess our faults that we can be healed, something that feels entirely unnatural to the ungodly. And that's, this is our imperative, or this is what's important to us, to be healed. For that, we're willing, because of that, we're willing to partake of cleansing in God's way, doing, thing God's, doing things God's way. And God's way is back to what James says again, confessing our faults one with another. That's brotherhood. Sharing with one another, that's brotherhood, that we can be healed, that we can be cleansed. God shares first. These men's groups are a time of worship. And we can follow that up with where two or three are gathered together in my name. There, am I, there I am in the midst of them. There am, and Christ is with those that are gathering in his name. This type of sharing levels the playing field. It helps us to realize we're in the struggle of life together. You know, that's so important. We all are prone to temptation, to, to trial. It might not all be the same, but we all have our struggles. And uh, when we come together, we, we work with each other, we realize it puts us all at the foot of the cross, realizing we need each other's help, we need God's help. It helps us to expose our worst and be willing to let God shed light on our path to purify. It helps us to see that self-pride is at the root of our struggles. That's an important one helps us to see that self-pride is at the root of our struggles. We want to protect ourselves of what others think of us or will think of us. We, desire, <clears throat> we see the desire of self-preservation being a greater motivator than the fear of the Lord. And for that reason, we do this as countering the accountability groups meeting together for the fear of the Lord. It puts self-preservation in its place. Um, so again, our own desire is for self-preservation, but we see that the fear of the Lord is what is important. The little sins are fearsome, and they keep us from moving ahead in our walk with God. Uh, James 1.15, He who is faithful in the small things will be faithful in the large things, and vice versa. Um, so if we're faithful in taking care of the little things, um, that's a means of preparing us for larger things for in life. 
for the conquest that God has out there for us. The unity of the church is based on how well you can share the deepest, darkest struggles and find real help. I thought that was really insightful. The unity of the church is based or can be witnessed on how well you can share the deepest, darkest struggles and find real help. Find a way forward. And when we're in deep, dark struggles and we're not finding help, we're stuck. There's no other way to put it. And we need to be moved. We need help being moved. Fostering this kind of sharing and support is the responsibility of the church. Being part of a group is very helpful. And it would be concerning not to be part of a group. And when I'm saying this, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that these groups are sacred, but I'm saying that I'm pointing towards a brotherhood, brotherhooding here, being part of a group that can help and be, uh, and so the accountability group is, is helping us to bring us to the point. It's a tool that God is using, a way of us, in a concrete way, uh, answering the call towards uh, confessing our faults, asking for prayer, and helping each other. <clears throat> Accountability helps us to face the mountains instead of hopelessly wish they would be moved. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing right there, to be able to face the mountains instead of just hopelessly wishing they'd be moved. Help available doesn't make it easy to avail ourselves to. There's where humility comes in, just an observation. Just because there's help, available help, doesn't make it easy for me to ask for it. The more, open, the more openness there is in the beginning, the more effective the group will be. Faithfulness in reaching out, faithfulness in responding are important. The enthusiasm of our youth and I share this as an encouragement and a blessing. And the willingness and their willingness to always make the meeting work is a blessing that was shared. Asking questions, real questions, do work. Sharing to each other made our group become closer. Integrity and openness as a way of bringing closure to temptation. And here's a very important one. A snack can be beneficial in breaking down barriers. Uh, so anyways, a few things that I'd like to, or a couple things that I'd just like to put out as questions to us all. What keeps us from asking each other the tough questions? What makes us shield ourselves from tough, tough questions or respond to them defensively and with anger? These are just questions that come to my own mind from my own experience. And ways we tend to get stuck. Uh, again, there's unforgiveness is one, I believe. I'm thinking a lot, if not all of us, can relate to this one. I was treated wrong. I was taken advantage of. This is something I, was, I will hold on to and get revenge for. Sometime at the right time will be my time. How sweet that will be. And that's a stuckness. Bitterness. Here's another one that will completely ruin our traction and make us stuck. Life hasn't treated me fairly. Why did this happen to me? Why not someone else who deserved it? You know, at best, that's a whiny martyr attitude that develops, comes from that. And it isn't helpful to anyone. And it's accompanied by underlying bad attitudes, and it will make us stuck. At worst, bitterness slowly takes the life out of 
a person that's at that point and slowly reduces him, slowly but surely reduces him to the skeleton of what God created him to be, and that's stuck. Overcome by sin, perhaps anger or malice, certain things or statements prick us or make us respond in ways that are clearly not from God. Stuck. Lust, we read, hear, see things that take us places in our flesh that are clearly not godly. Again, that's being stuck. These are varied examples that I'm sharing and not exhaustive. But I believe just areas where, um, and you can add to it, maybe there's something in your mind, came to your mind. Add to it, but places that we get to that can just be like sludge, be like miry clay, be like snow that we just can't get out of. We need help. And God is there to give us help. Um, So there's the question, how can we get unstuck? A challenge is put forth in our accountability group. Are you satisfied with where you're at? Where do you see yourself in two years from now? That's been a question I've asked myself. Um, are we stuck with where we're at? Do we want to move ahead? 2 Corinthians three sixteen through 18 says, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and we all, with a veil, unveiled face, beholding as in, in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So this is a different kind of mirror. This is a mirror that is able to transform us, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is not just unstuckness, but there is power. There's power to move ahead. Um, power to, to face the mountain. Power to help us accomplish God's will in our lives. And again, I want to go back to James 5, 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses one to another. Humility came through strongly with those who shared in our group meeting. The need for humility. And I can guarantee you that unless we, unless we, um, well, without humility, confession is not going to take place. Without humility. Um, without our willingness to really be, be, um, uh, honest with God and with our fellow brothers, uh, humility, uh, confession won't take place. And so that's number one important. Honest confession enabled by humility. United prayer to face the mountain of defeat and to overcome. The fervent prayer of a righteous man does avail. Prayer has a net effect of unifying the brotherhood in its pursuit of godliness. And that brotherhood can be two or three people. It can be our united brotherhood. But it has that effect of unifying. And where there's unity, there's power. Where there's unity accompanied by fervent prayer, there is power. There's a need for encouragement to and from our fellow brethren. That was also brought out the other evening. The realization we're in this battle against sin and to conquer together. It's the encouragement of, over, of overcoming. 
spiritual brotherhood, tenacity, and endurance. <clears throat> Jude 16 through 25, he says this, In the last days there will be grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words. Flattering people to gain advantage. We read about this in Peter as well this morning. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there will be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are central persons who cause divisions not having the spirit. And we are very much facing that in one way or the other as a church. Uh, in this day and age. It's something that's in our face. Mockers who are sensual. Who don't believe in the power of God. Um, who don't believe that Christ will come again to redeem his own. And they want us to believe that way too. Because sin loves company. Uh, that was brought out in our lesson this morning. Flattering people to gain advantage. Telling us that the sins that are so alluring, are not just alluring, but they're necessary, or they should be part of our life, or God is depriving us of something if we don't indulge or, or follow these sins. But he says this, um, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ into eternal life. And that's a beautiful verse. Keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for the mercy. And then this next verse I especially was thinking of, and I thought of it in the context of our own church, our own people. And on some have compassion making the a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And I think that's the kind of tenacity and love that we have for each other. The kind of love that that is uh, there pulling like an urgency, has an urgency to it, pulling them even out of the fire. Like our own children, you know, we Last night we were at a campfire and and uh, little um, I can't think of her name now. Mike's uh, Abigail was almost she's got plenty close to the fire and there was a, just a joint effect of people coming around to grab her. Well, you know that's what I see in the brotherhood that is on fire for God and its own people. They're they're there they're there to grab and to pull, uh, even if. The person screaming and trying to get away, you know, they're, they, they're going to do all they can to save with fear. Um, and then there's praise. This is another element that's so important in helping us be moved. Praising God, realizing that all good gifts come from him and giving that back to him. And I would like to close with these words now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy 
to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? To him who is able to keep us from falling, to keep us from stumbling, who alone is wise, to God our Savior. And he's given us everything, including each other, to effectuate that, to make that happen. And to him alone be dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. God bless you.